Well, uh, good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And from the baby chair today, I'm Jim Dwyer. I'm sitting on a throne. Hey, wait a minute. I'm not Hillary Clinton. Give me a break. (laughs) (laughs) Or Elvis. Yeah. Well, I guess we can start out with that situation. I think that obviously this is a very interesting development, what happened. Uh, Not too surprising. I think that the media coverage has been a little askew. And uh, I guess one of my beefs about this whole process, if you want to call it that, is that this is really a triumph of the media picking the candidates uh, more than anything. I think Huckabee, you know, he's he's been a brother. Uh, we'll just stick with the Republicans first, since they're actually more interesting at the moment. He's been a bit of a f- breath of fresh air. He's got a disarming uh, kind of ordinary Joe kind of guy. And uh, obviously in Iowa, he was helped by the evangelical turnout. Um, he's won the debates, hands down, and I th- pinpoint his rise... Uh, as a candidate to the uh, uh, the debate that was held at Morgan State back in the, I think it was September, maybe October, where uh, it was an issue about civil rights. And the top four Republicans uh, boycotted the debate. Mm. Huge mistake. Gave Huckabee a chance to show what he had. Uh, he did, performed well in that debate, and uh, the rest is history. I thought what was fascinating, I don't know how much of the debates you watched this weekend... None. None. Well, I, I was the opposite. Like I f- most Americans. <laughs> I figured this was uh, this might be it, you know, although not really. I, I think that the process has got a long way to go. But what was fascinating was the difference in the substance of the Republican debate in the Saturday night debate in which Ron Paul was there hmm. versus the Sunday night debate in which he wasn't. The GOP has a Ron Paul problem. <laughs> <laughs> Um, he is uh, scoring points big time, um, but he's not uh, he's not going to be the nominee. But he is clearly getting ten percent of the Republican Party vote. Um, he had he was the only candidate on Saturday night gr- that was grounded in reality. And by the way, just uh, oh, just a comment briefly about Charlie Gibson. I thought he was by far the best moderator we've had in any of these debates. He got down to the issues. He uh, allowed some interchange between the candidates, et cetera, et cetera. So I think that th- these two debates that were uh, that occurred on Saturday were easily the two best debates and probably the most watched debates. These were on ABC, national television, uh, competing with football, however. <laughs> uh, so that was just fascinating to see the difference that Ron Paul brought to the table. Um, he's completely uh, different from the Republicans on the war in Iraq, on the so-called Bush doctrine, and even uh, had some refreshing uh, observations about the price of gas, which uh, may emerge as a big issue this year in the uh, in the presidential race. And then... Uh, in comparison, on Sunday night when they debated on Fox, and I think it was the first time I've watched Fox, uh, <laughs> any Fox channel other than live sporting uh, uh, events since the 2006 election, 
Romney had a much better night. But what's fascinating about the dynamics of the debate is that Romney's sort of the man in the middle. He's getting attacked by Huckabee and McCain. And Fred Thompson, who I'll just give a brain damage award, who apparently today said that he's apparently left New Hampshire. He's uh, scoring in the 1% range, although he was allowed in the debate on Sunday, has actually functioned as a blocker for McCain. And we'll uh, use that reference blocker mm-hmm. creating interference uh, in uh, in a second here to describe what's going on with the Democrats. Um, I'll give him a brain damage award. He apparently referred to uh, his uh, operation in South Carolina as, quote, Custer's last stand. <laughs> <clears throat> Never the best metaphor uh, in good circumstances. Wasn't Custer killed on the so-called last stand? I, I don't get it. <laughs> Bizarre. <laughs> by hostile natives. <laughs> Very hostile. And by the way, they weren't immigrants. No. <laughs> Custer was. Um, and of course, the immigration to, uh, issue in the Republican Party is uh, continuing to be all over the map. Giuliani appears like he's going to be beat by Ron Paul again. Fascinating that Ron Paul will probably garner at least 10% uh, in New Hampshire. Turning uh, very quickly to the Democratic debate and the media coverage, um, the Democratic race has actually been the triumph of the media. They've created this narrative of Obama versus Clinton. Mm -hmm. This has generated the money into these campaigns. It's the historic race between the first African-American versus the first woman, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Joe Biden, uh, Chris Dodd, Bill Richardson, and uh, Dennis Kucinich, and even John Edwards have gotten almost no media coverage heretofore, and they're still not getting it, even after Edwards finished second. All of the focus was on the upcoming Hillary versus Obama battle in uh, New Hampshire, a battle, by the way, that Obama appears to be winning. And the big question tonight is, uh, and tomorrow night, is what's the margin going to be? If he gets uh, well over 40%, Hillary Clinton could indeed be in trouble. But if it's a kind of a 40-33-25% breakdown with Hillary finishing second, or even Edwards finishing second, I don't think it really matters. The point is the race is going to go on in the Democratic Party. They apportion their delegates proportionally. There is not enough discussion about Bill Richardson throwing his support to Obama the day of the caucuses in Iowa. Uh, that was a, a big story that I think contributed a little bit to Obama's margin. And, uh, you know, some more sober analysis shows, for instance, that Obama did not do well uh, in rural. He, he basically won three counties in Iowa. So he did not win the rural vote. And this is not an election about change. <laughs> Uh, This is going to be the most overused word of uh, the year 2008, and will no doubt make that list of words that need to be... Eliminated. Yeah, what do they call that list? There's always about 10 words on there that they produce around New Year's uh, Eve, and uh, change will be on that list next year, (laughs) guaranteed, because now everybody's talking about change. Michael Kingsley wisely pointed out that the two candidates for change are actually Dennis Kucinich and Ron Paul. And quote, as he put it, I'm paraphrasing, change is scary. America doesn't want change. It wants modification. It wants some polishing. It wants to feel good again. (laughs) Yeah, polishing at the edges. 
So this is not about change, but it certainly is about Mike Huckabee, his rise, and Barack Obama. And just to talk a little bit briefly about Obama, because he is certainly a fascinating candidate, I think there was a, a pretty brilliant analysis of the Obama phenomena in the December 3rd edition of The Nation magazine by Lakshmi Chowdhury, and uh, she's a contributing writer at The Nation and is a Puffin Foundation writing fellow at the Nation Institute, whatever the Puffin Foundation is. Yeah, I have no idea. It's a publishing house related to Penguin, but I have no idea if there's yeah. a connection there. Hmm. But um, in the, the... Tommy Chong division. Yeah, Tommy Chong division. Anyway, this, um, this uh, article talks about the so-called Generation X... And this when is, was the last time you heard that uh, seriously yeah. used as a Gen X? I, it was probably one of those signifier. words, words that they threw out <laughs> yeah, about twelve years ago. Yeah. So this is what this is about. This is generational, and Obama is legitimately a man that can turn the page on the twenty-first century, twentieth uh, century, into the twenty-first century. Yeah. That's what's phenomenal about him. But uh, Obama has been um, very vague about what change means or what he is going to bring to the table i think that this idea that tone and you know bringing bipartisanship to washington is a bunch of baloney frankly yeah well change in obama's uh, mind uh, won't mean much uh, to upset the insurance companies for example yeah um and we obviously the details of all of his policies we can uh, explore in further uh Debates, but uh, anyway, uh, just a couple of brief comments from this article that I thought really were uh, right on the mark. At one point, uh, and I'm not sure whether this is a male or a female because I don't know, I don't know that word, that that first name, uh, Lakshmi. But anyway, I think it's a woman. I think it is. I think I've heard her on the radio. But anyway, um, at one point, she's talking about the Gen Xers have been, quote, recast as the new progressives of uh, politics. She writes, the scalding contempt for the mainstream press expressed by bloggers was ingrained in the Gen X point of view long before the Iraq war. The failures of Judith Miller in the New York Times could hardly surprise the likes of Mark uh, Saltvite, who offered this eerily prescient media critique in 1994. Today's press corps is largely worthless, a pack of shallow conformists so easily manipulated that it's a joke. Maybe the boomer generation, Pepsi, which is the word there, is doomed to uh, shallow uh, group thought and trend-mongering among years of training at MCA, CBS, and Time. New technology for cable, TV, desktop publishing, and cheap recording studios arrived just in time for the slackers. I think that sums it up pretty pretty perfectly, because Obama is somehow riding this so-called Gen X generation and also people under 30. This is the age group that he did phenomenally well mm -hmm. in Iowa amongst. And it's interesting. Um Xers progressives are, quote, far less inspired by the idea of saving the world than fixing the local school system or creating green transit alternatives. So it's very interesting uh, how this generational 
uh, thing is, is what this is about. I don't think this is about race. I think that there's clearly a demarcation in America. I'll just say people over 65, there's probably still a heavily racist element. But my sense is that the baby boom generation that's uh, going to start collecting Social Security during President Obama's first term, making that assumption that he's the president, um, I don't think R is racist. And I don't think Obama's going to have the race problem in the upcoming election. He may have a problem in rural white America for other reasons. And you certainly start to wonder what red states he can possibly win. This is what will be fascinating, to see how long this race between Obama, Edwards, and Clinton goes on. I don't think we're going to know who the Democratic nominee is until February 5th. Um, well, the, the red state, blue state thing, I think, almost can be broken down and thrown out with the sort of candidacy that he presents. Because mm -hmm. if you look at what were, in fact, blue states, look at Michigan. The, really, you could talk about blue and red areas within states. Sure. In a state like Iowa or Michigan, where, you know, urban, professional, university, you know, academic centers go blue. <laughs> Forgive the expression. Right. And, uh, you know, most of the rest of Michigan, northwest, central, uh, was red. So I think there uh, is something to that that, that uh, an Obama – and I see – Going back to your earlier comment about the media sort of creation of this, you know, two-pronged race, in, you know, to the exclusion of all the other candidates, that I almost think the Democratic Party itself is playing into this and, and would like to see, uh, as a fait accompli, an Obama-Hillary uh, ticket. Mm -hmm. And this is something I talked about uh, over Christmas, um, that, you know, that the first female candidate, the first African-American candidate as like a ticket, um, you know, and, and the manner in which uh, Edwards, Kucinich, uh, et cetera, have been uh, denied media limelight or even participation in some debates um, is a little troubling. Uh, I mentioned uh, that Kucinich uh, made the news simply because his brother had died. <laughs> that was the only article about Kucinich for mm -hmm. like three days. Sure. And, uh, well, gee, that's unfortunate, but uh, pretty indicative of the kind of attention. You know, he made an appearance on the Colbert Report that was quite witty and amusing, and I, he, he didn't say much at all. He did some little magic tricks and pulled things out of his pockets. And <laughs> at first I thought, well, that's kind of ridiculous. What a waste of, a, of an appearance. But then I realized, no, he's really making a comment on the ridiculous nature of the soundbite uh, discourse that uh, drives uh, political campaigns. My big complaint about the process is that the whole thing is insanely too long. Sure. You know, the elections aren't until... November. Exactly. It's January, and we've already been talking about it for months now. And you talk about the money that's spent, the advertising that has to be endured and created. Um, and the advertising, by the way, is worthless. It, yeah, I mean, it, it I mean, ultimately at the end of the has day. little bearing on what people's final decisions are. You know, this comes down to organization and message. Yeah. Um, and the advertising, I think, is a complete waste of money. I mean, you know, I think brief spots on the radio and... You know, maybe a funny TV commercial here and there may uh, help present the candidates. But, um, I mean, Romney's the big loser. He did, he won zero delegates in Iowa. Huckabee won them all. Yeah. On the Democratic side, I'd just like to point out that, uh, given the statistics of the outcome, Obama's got 23, Edwards has got 18, and Hillary's got 17. And Obama, although he won, 
more than 60% of Iowa Democrats didn't vote for him. Right. And this is a lot more like the Big Ten football race. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, you know, okay, we all know that Michigan and Ohio State are pretty much going to win the Big Ten, but Wisconsin sometimes sneaks through. Don't they wear red? <laughs> Don't we wear blue? Yeah, I mean, come on, and the scarlet and gray. So the colors, um, it, it's not over. And this idea that even if Hillary gets beat tonight in the media i i watched some of the coverage this afternoon there's actually pundits that are sort of dancing around her grave all the right wingers on the radio this afternoon we're talking about the end of her era and so forth and you wonder by the way how many republicans may be even voting in the democratic primaries for obama for that very reason uh they certainly hate her um and there was a very interesting poll, by the way, when uh, Joe Lieberman was the uh, vice presidential candidate, and I wanted to mention this, because the poll actually was a national poll reflecting anti-Jewish sentiment in the United States. Well, believe it or not, there was more anti-woman. There were more Americans that would refuse to vote for a woman for president than for a Jewish person, and more Americans that would refuse to vote for a Jewish person than an African-American person. That's interesting. The media makes no comments about that. Uh, But that bias is out there, and Hillary is dealing with that bias. I have no sympathy for Hillary Clinton. She's an attractive candidate in many ways. She, She performs very well in the debates. But I think what Iowa told America is that the Clinton machine is is done you know bring bill home get him back <laughs> you can't run for president and have bill in tow bill is just he is the rock star of the democratic party he's got a new book out too and he's got a new book out you know let bill do what he does but trying to use him as a surrogate guy to get your message across doesn't work because hillary just pales in comparison to to him and uh, it, th- this is not an election about change, folks. This is an election about personality. That is the sad thing. Mm. There's going to be very little change. Uh, there may be some change here and there. I think that John Edwards is fascinating because he keeps talking in these metaphors about fighting for the middle class. He's got to change his message a little bit. I mean, he blew it in the debate on Saturday when he didn't attack Obama on nuclear power, for instance. Mm. Obama thinks nuclear power is one of our changes forward. <laughs> that doesn't change. That's insanity. Well, and it's more catering to uh, industries. Yeah. I mean, I understand what Edwards is trying to do, and Edwards, I think, is going to stay in the race for quite some time. So the fascinating dynamic is which one of these three candidates, and I'm putting Obama as, you know, he's a contender no matter what, but which person, Edwards or Hillary, drops out of the race? Mm. Bill Richardson, you know, we got a second chance to look at him in the Saturday debate. Uh, He had some interesting things to say, but it's just not quite there. And he's obviously going to make a stand in Nevada, which is the next delegate-related primary that the Democrats have. I don't even want to get into the mess in Michigan. It's so pathetic. It's... uh, disgusting because apparently you can vote in the democratic primary or the caucus or whatever they call it but 
there aren't going to be any delegates selected if you you can vote either for Kucinich, Clinton, or, quote, uncommitted. Well, who the heck is going to go out and vote for uncommitted? <laughs> I'm going to vote, and I'm going to vote for no opinion. This is totally absurd, and the Michigan Democratic Party just deserves a complete brain damage award for creating this fiasco. Um, if you want to vote, go vote in the Republican primary. Yeah. No, just the the idea that it's more important to be, you know, before Vermont uh, doesn't really seem to make that much sense. Does it really matter that well, much? Well, and the irony is, if Michigan had just stuck where they were, they would have probably been a big player in the in the uh, in this primary because it appears to me, um, you know, obviously Giuliani is. <laughs> I mean, he's, he's going to make his uh, last Custer stand in Florida, <laughs> so he isn't going to win anything till then. But it, it's quite obvious that if McCain doesn't win in tonight in New Hampshire, he might be done. And this is really, you know, it's a three-person race in the Republican Party. It's a three-person race in the Democratic Party. But even after the 5th of February, when the Democrats have, quote, picked half their delegates, I suspect there still won't be a nominee. In 1992, the last time we had this substantive primary, by the way, it was Michigan and the Illinois primaries that got Bill Clinton the nomination. Until that time, it really was still up in the air. The Michigan Democratic Party just doesn't understand how the process works. And while I agree with them in principle that there's way too much emphasis on two white purple states because Iowa and uh, New Hampshire, ironically, have flip-flopped in both the last two elections. Uh, fascinating that that's that they are the first two states because they're the two closest states. But they're not representative of America. And when you have the media saying that, you know, 225,000 Democrats showed up, less than one-tenth of the registered voters, you know, determining the outcome of our national elections, it's... It's a frightening development. There do need to be changes in the process. Oh, no, I used that word again. <laughs> I was going to say, but that's not likely to happen. Because As for the GOP, uh, I've got bad news for them. They need to change their depends. <laughs> They're old, crusty, and talk about living in fantasy land, the... I hope they replay that uh, Saturday night uh, ABC debate because uh, other than Ron Paul, who's at least, you know, I don't agree with Ron Paul on everything, but at least Ron Paul is living in the, in, in the 21st century. The rest of the Republican Party is continuing to talk about massive military buildups, uh, winning the war in Iraq, and tax cuts all at the same time. None of it makes any sense. It's uh, We've got massive deficits. The Iraq war continues the way it's continuing. To hemorrhage uh, not only actual human blood, but funds. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bill Richardson wisely pointed out, tell that to the 23, uh, the, the surge is working, tell that to the 23 Americans that died in, in Iraq in December and the 60,000 Americans. And that's just the uh, American perspective. And by the way, for the record, on the surge thing, because I'll give John McCain a brain damage award, we've heard nothing but discussion about how successful the surge has been. Well, for the record, um, there were 2,592 coalition deaths uh, in Iraq in 2007, the highest total of the war to date. 
So while there's been some improvement in the last couple of months, uh, the cause of why this has occurred is, is, is what the debate is about. And I would say it's, it's more about Moqtada al-Sadr uh, announcing a ceasefire right. in late August than the success of the surge. Well, I've talked a bit too much. Well, that's uh, all stuff that's uh, shaping the immediate future. A uh, couple of interesting uh, little oddball items um, that are a little befuddling. Um, first, though, before I get to those, just a quick mention about um, Bush's planned trip to the Mideast. Yeah. This is bizarre. Um, and uh, timing is everything. Uh, or, as Hamlet said, the readiness is all. I'm not sure that Bush is truly ready for the trip, uh, let alone anything that he might have to say there. Um, it seems highly theatrical to me. I mean, he's actually going to go uh, to six nations in the region, including Palestinian territories, uh, making it sound so expansive, of course. Uh, <laughs> who's providing the security for this? Well, I'm sure inside the Palestinian territories it will be IDF security. Uh, but this seems, uh, again, highly theatrical, and yet he says that there quote, there will be a comprehensive peace signed by the end of this year, close quote. That's certainly very optimistic and, again, not based in reality. Um, there is, in fact, some substantial disagreement between uh, negotiating teams. Um, Palestinians, I'm reading here from an article by Daniel Dombey in uh, today's Financial Times, Palestinians have criticized the planned expansion of a Jewish settlement on Arab land south of Jerusalem, and Israelis have hit back over the PA's inability to stop violent attacks by Palestinian militants, many of whom are probably upset about the ongoing settlements. Um, and Bush, of course, wants to put you know his foot in both places, and he says that he expected the Israelis to honor their commitments to dismantle illegal settlements, but he was aware that realities on the ground would shape an eventual Israeli-Palestinian border. Whatever that means, you know, it's all just a delay tactic. But um, and one know. and one, you know, just for the record, one would have thought that George Bush had would have already been to the Middle East. You know, this is right. called the first trip to the Middle East. It's fascinating. I seem to recall as part of his bio, as part of his uh, credentials to be the president of the United States, he was in charge of an energy company named Harkin Energy that was awarded oil contracts in the Middle East in connection to the uh, first Iraq war. One would have thought, as a chief executive of an oil company, he might go there, but apparently... That would involve actual working. ...never found any oil, and <laughs> too. there was a suspicious buyout by some oh. Saudi, you know, bigwigs connected to BCCI Bank, and I mean, you know, I, I'm going to have to bring in all the details on that, but it, I mean, it's it's fascinating. Yeah. Where, where was Bush in the Middle East back when he was in charge of this... And infamous energy company Funny named you should Harkin mention, uh, Energy. Our good friends, the Saudis, because yeah. the final paragraph of this article notes that Bush's visit comes as the administration seeks to overcome congressional resistance to the sale of bomb guidance kits to Saudi Arabia, a centerpiece of a series of arms deals, oh boy, just what the region needs, with Gulf states aimed at countering Iran's influence. So, of course, the you know, the, the Saudi Wahhabists, you know, must be heavily armed, too. 
course, Israel, for their part, would probably be more satisfied if they had the only army in the region altogether. But um, whatever they hope to accomplish by this wing-ding, you know, fly-by-night trip through the Mideast, six nations and six... It's like a like a rock tour or something, you know. There's really no time to get your feet on the ground. Or um, have any hummus. <laughs> but yeah, or, um, or indeed even be awake. You know, even today, it's fascinating. I think he's leaving tomorrow. Um, I think he kind of wants to be out of the country uh, after the... Yeah. New Hampshire primaries. Even going to Palestinian <laughs> territories sounds like a violent. I think he has a bad memory about the New Hampshire primary in 2000 when he got thumped by John McCain. Mm. But um, even today, there were uh, events in the Persian Gulf, in the Strait of Hormuz, between uh, Iranian swift boats and the American Navy that apparently was armed and ready to fire. I mean, there nearly was actually a skirmish today in the... Uh, in the Persian Gulf. Um, so who knows uh, why he's doing this at this time. Uh, one would think he might want to go to Pakistan. So that or, or not go at all, because certainly he's, he's not any more popular there than he is in here or in New Hampshire. And uh, I don't know. Right. Really what to say.